I'm Glenn Robinson, and I've spent the last 30 years as a healthcare leader and overseeing large organizations. And before that, I was in the news business. And I'm Jacob Robinson, his son. I've spent the last five years building a business and learning lessons of leadership along the way. And this is our podcast, Chasing What Matters. On this podcast, we're going to interview leaders from all walks of life and hear their stories of successes and failures and what has made them become who they are today and how their faith and families played a role in their lives and leadership styles. During these interviews, we will be discussing things from business to politics, healthcare to nonprofit, and anything in between to find out how these leaders are chasing what matters in their work and personal life. So welcome to another episode of Chasing What Matters. Hello, everyone. We're so glad that you could join us for another episode of the Chasing What Matters podcast. I'm your co-host, Glenn Robinson. And I'm your other co-host, Jacob Robinson. Our guest today is Doug McNamee. Doug serves as the president of Magnolia, a media, hospitality, and lifestyle company founded by the celebrity serial entrepreneurs Chip and Joanna Gaines. In his role, he oversees the content, licensing, e-commerce, experiential, realty, and long-term strategy for one of Texas's fastest-growing companies and the anchor for Waco's rebirth as a tourism and entertainment hub. Prior to Magnolia, Doug served as a senior associate athletic director at Baylor University. Doug and his wife, Lacey, are proud parents of two girls, ages four and six, and they continue to make Waco their home, where both are very involved in our community. Doug, welcome to the Chasing What Matters podcast. Thank you, Glenn. Thanks, Jacob. It's an honor. Really, really enjoy the opportunity to get to connect with you guys today. Well, we were talking about you being involved. You and I both just came from a Waco Business League luncheon where you serve on the board, and uh, uh, it was a great time hearing uh, one of our former podcast guests, uh, Lyndon Olson. And boy, what a great speech he gave. We need more of those and more people like Lyndon Olson in the world. It was, it was very impactful and you know, a, lot of, a lot of nuggets to take away for leadership from that, that speech for sure. Yeah, no question. Well, Doug, tell our listeners where you're from and what growing up was like. You bet. So I grew up in Lake Jackson, Texas, which is about uh, an hour south of Houston. I I joke with folks, and I mean this in the most endearing way because I do love where I grew up, but it's kind of the the, uh, centering of mosquitoes, humidity, chemical plants, um, and hurricanes. Um, But with that being said, it still uh, was an awesome community. Went to Braswood High School. Um, fortunate to have a great group of friends and family there and, a, and a, an awesome church and school to go to. Um, you know, it's close enough to the coast where you got to do a lot of fishing, a lot of saltwater fishing. So when I got to Waco and everybody does the freshwater bass fishing, I, I, I didn't know what I was doing or, or I was looking for the live shrimp to throw out in the water and didn't, didn't quite find it quick enough. Um, but, uh, had a, a great, a great childhood growing up, um, in Lake Jackson. And, um, you grew up a big Houston sports fan, so had the struggles of seeing the Oilers leave to go to Tennessee and never quite have recovered uh, in terms of my fandom for NFL, uh, but then got there for some really good years with the Rockets winning the, winning the uh, back-to-back titles when, uh, fortunately, that one guy from Chicago decided to sit out for a few years, um, and, uh, and the Astros having some good years as well, too. So um, fun place to grow up and a lot of good seafood and a lot of good times uh, with friends and family down there. That's good. That's good. Now, uh, you you left Houston uh, or Lake Jackson, and and uh, as you mentioned, went to Waco because uh, you went to Baylor. Tell us how you ended up going uh, to Baylor. 
Well, my parents joke, uh, my, my dad grew up, uh, my, my family on my dad's side has always been closely tied to, to Baylor. Uh, grandfather back uh, in the 70s and 80s was a dean of school of education. He also served briefly as an assistant superintendent of Waco ISD schools. Dad graduated from Richfield High School, so um, a lot of ties to Waco. And so my parents joke that uh, my dad grew up Baptist, my mom grew up uh, Methodist, and the deal was that the kids would go to Baylor and that we'd go to a Methodist church growing up. It's kind of the way that it all that it split up. Um, but I uh, I uh, I had um, you know I always had a passion for Baylor uh, and it's just the, the team that I rooted for and. Um, you know, I, I, I knew that for me, I wanted to be working in, in sports and working in college sports. And Baylor was the, the best opportunity to get really hands on at a school that was relatively small comparative to the, to the big giants in the state like A&M in Texas. So I knew that if I, if I wanted to work in college sports, the chance as a student to go there, I'd have the opportunity to do so and, and probably get my hands on more than if you went to a big, large state school. Um, and still, still was competing in, in a, uh, in a, in a power five conference. So got to be able to see, you know, college athletics, its highest, um, a highest form, but do so in a way where, where, like I said, I could get more, um, visibility and a chance to, to, to see more things, um, probably earlier than I would at a, a smaller school, um, excuse me, at a larger school. So, um, you know, Baylor was I, a place that I knew wanted to go a long time, fulfilled the dream after graduating from high school, um, came to the university and had a chance to work in, in college athletics and kind of, um, get my first step into what I thought would be the passion for me uh, for the rest of my life. Well, when you and I first met, Doug, you had already had an impressive career even before you turned 30. Your first full-time position at Baylor after completing your master's degree in sports management was in uh, working for international sports properties. At that time, they were called ISP Sports, and that's where you and I got to know each other. And then, of course, ISP later became part of the IMG WME Enterprise. And uh, then I watched you become the general manager for the Baylor Sports Properties. And tell our listeners a little bit about this amazing behind-the-scenes world of collegiate sports, and today how most universities work with media partners like an IMG. Yeah, so it's a significant business, obviously. I mean, you hear college athletics, especially in the Power 5 level, and you see the financials associated with it, and it's going through a lot of disruption right now with some of the the new laws and, and policies that have been enacted specifically around um, stu- student athletes name image and likeness but uh, you know the the multimedia rights of, of an institution um, are uh, significant when it comes to the ability to monetize that and you know the the TV rights are really what drives uh, the biggest chunk of revenue when you talk about the the TV rights of all the power five schools you put them into the conference and you hear these huge deals with ESPN Fox um, and and the big the big uh, multimedia rights uh, uh, distribution companies, that's where you see significant dollars in, in a, even whether it's Texas, whether it's Baylor or any, any of the big schools, small, whatever it is in between, a big chunk of their uh, revenue is coming from the TV rights. Um, and so that usually is separate. But in addition to that, you have everything else, which is the corporate sponsorship advertising rights at the venue. It's, it's, uh, the radio rights usually go along with it. It may not be the actual game broadcast, um, but it could be some ancillary, uh, coaches shows, um, sports that are more like Olympic sports that you get. So you put all those together and the multimedia right companies, um, like a WME come in and they bring a highly sophisticated sales approach, which the university, uh, 
uh, at least in the, the the athletic side, doesn't necessarily have that within, and they are able to aggregate um, those multimedia rights at not just a school like Baylor, but they take it and they 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 take uh, fifty plus schools and they go to one buyer with a with a much much more um, appealing pitch. Um, and so you're scaling it. You're, you're coming to the market with a lot more than just a segmented one institution. You have the opportunity to buy a big chunk of those across the country. And you saw a lot of consolidation in that in that space from when the time I started to, to now. It, it, it largely results as a company. Um, it's all those three-letter acronyms that you spoke of, Glenn, that have almost combined themselves. It's, it's Learfield IMG College Sports. Um, it's all one company now. For the most part, they've got a big chunk of of the universities across the Power Five, um, but the but the uh, the 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 way that usually works is is they buy the rights of the school, they make a guarantee to the school, so the school knows they've got a, a certain amount of income coming off of it, and then they have the upside to share in um, revenue, uh, a share above what they would hit from the guarantee standpoint. So if they can go above and beyond in terms of monetizing those rights to selling to corporate partners um, like insurance, healthcare, et cetera. Then the school shares in the upside of that, and you know, I got a chance to start in that right after I finished my graduate degree. Um, and learning how to sell was such a valuable um, asset for me to, to learn at that age. I, I give the company um, Ben Sutton was the pioneer who started that company. Just the the greatest amount of, of of appreciation for the investment that they made in their leaders at such a young age to learn how to sell. Um, and you know the salary was. Was, wasn't significant coming out of school. I think I took a step down from my graduate stipend to take my first job, um, which was a hard, you know, hard conversation to have with your parents after you went through um, two degrees and six years of school. But it was worth it because of the education and the training that was provided once I really got my foot into the door and learned it. Um, and just so many valuable lessons that I still take today. Um, and I would say, you know, secondly, the opportunity to interact um Candidly, with people like yourself, Glenn, who I had probably no business being at the table and having the chance to sit down and talk to, but this job gave you the chance to deal with decision makers um, and to understand what was important to them, listen to them, have a chance to learn, to ask questions. Um, and so at that early age, to have have that face time with, with, with business, business leaders that all had a vested interest, specifically in Baylor, um, I, I take lessons that I've learned from those conversations um, throughout my career, and still many of them I apply in my everyday uh, life today. So it was really a rewarding, beneficial experience. Well, Doug, I'll, I'll just say uh, you were so professional in that role. I, I mean, when I first arrived here, I'd never interfaced with the university in this way where we were the uh, you know sponsor for all healthcare-related services with Baylor Athletics and that sort of thing. And so that gave us the opportunity to have some presence within your organization. And, and you would greet me. You'd make sure I didn't get lost in the stadium or wherever and, and make sure that I showed up uh, of, of how to do certain presentations and then you would uh, you know take me in times of halftime to be interviewed and 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 you were just always so professional so gracious and when when you were there at my elbow I I, I never was nervous and I, I never worried about a thing because I knew that you would always keep me from uh, making a fool of myself so for, so thank you so much uh, for teaching me all that you did well you you were easy um and 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 we're, we're such a, a pleasure to work with. And that, that's, like I said, that, that job was so rewarding for the chance to interact with people like yourself um, and to learn and to watch and observe and to, to see the leadership skills and to understand, you know, you had made a decision and you'd stuck your neck out there to make a financial decision to support a venture that I was, you know, representing in a sales capacity and just really came to appreciate 
um, you know, the, the, the commitment and the, the equity that was required for a decision maker to put their trust in you and put your, tr- put the trust in the brand that you represented. Um, and again, it, it's, it's been, it's come back full circle as we make decisions around here. I, I, I think just that experience has helped me to understand what decisions, you know, making decisions are like, how you've got to make choices and you've got to make, uh, allocations of your company's funds. Um, and just a, a gratitude and appreciation for uh, a commitment that was based, I think, a lot on trust and, and uh, you know, wanting to make sure that you reciprocate that in the same capacity that those people would give into you when they, when they chose to support your entity. Well, you made it easy. Thank you. Well, you know, you, you've talked about um, the skill sets you, you learned in the role of, of learning how to sell and how to uh, essentially sit at tables uh, with individuals that are older and, and more experienced and have been around the block a few more times. Uh, and, and I have no doubt that that obviously the, those skills translate, um, you know, in, in a lot of aspects of life. But one of the other things you did when you were at Baylor, uh, you helped lead the Baylor Bear Foundation to historic fundraising levels. Uh, you actually helped fully fund all athletic scholarships for the first time in the school's history, which is r- remarkable, right? I mean, that, that's a lot of scholarships and a lot of dollars. Tell us a little bit about that experience, but also then talk to our listeners about, you know, there is there is uh, skills and things you can learn to selling. Uh, and in my experience, fundraising is a little bit different than selling. I mean, you're selling a vision, right? But but you're, you're pulling at different heartstrings of why people are giving their dollars, right? They're not buying a product uh, necessarily or, or, or advertising space necessarily. Um, so, so one, tell us about that experience and, and what that uh, that lift was like, because I, mean, I imagine that was that was quite a hill to climb. But then also talk to our listeners out there that are uh, trying to fundraise for various things or, or raise money for nonprofits or, or maybe even their, their organization uh, yeah. and give them some advice that you learned along the way. Yeah. So I'd like to take credit and say it was because I was really a talented fundraiser and I knew what I was doing. I, it happened to be some pretty good timing. There's this guy named RG3 and, <laughs> you know, Kim Mulkey was winning national championships and all of our teams were really excelling. And I happened to be the guy that was sitting in the seat asking for people to support our programs with with all the success that was ongoing. So, well, well maybe um, maybe timing is the uh, the biggest ti- skill time, needed. That's, yeah, that's yeah. the number one skill <laughs> in fundraising right there. I, I think if you flip the script and that people have been running me out of town saying this guy can't raise a nickel. But, you know, I, I would say to your question, Jacob, it's all about acknowledging what you're asking for. And I think, you know, it was a pivot for me in in um, selling corporate uh, sponsorships and media rights in the sense that there needed to be a clear ROI um, for that for that decision. And, and these people um, were making an, a decision based on advertising and based on exposure and showing support. And at the end of the day, you need to come back to them and, and recap the year and be able to show them how their investment made a difference on their, on their business. Um, it was about them. They, they were the ones that were, that were spending that money and making that decision. And so you needed to be able to justify that expense because at some point, you know, as the decisions got harder and I was there in, you know, 08, 09, as, as, as we saw, a, you know, a pullback from a, from an economy standpoint and there was less advertising out there and they're going to cut the ones that they didn't believe brought them a return. And when you move on the fundraising side of things, um, it then becomes about this is how you're helping our organization make a difference in other people's lives. So I think the first thing was just to be real clear, you know, when you're talking on this on the advertising sponsorship side, don't try to confuse the individual and make it feel like, hey, this is a donation. You know, this is a philanthropic cause. No, this is a, a business decision that needs to show returns. And I think that acknowledging that and making it clear on the front end 
um, helped helped that that individual across in the conversation say, okay, this this person isn't trying to blend what the results need to look like. He has a clear vision of what I need to deliver to make this justified. You know, and then on the flip side, when you're out there fundraising, I think it's really selling a vision of what you're trying to accomplish, what what the difference is that you're going to make um, for the people that you're serving with the with the donations that were made. In our case, you know, it was talking about a, a really high quality education in a unique setting. I and mean, Baylor's trying to do something pretty unique, which is compete in the highest levels of academics and athletics and do so with an unapologetically Christian environment. Um, and I and I will say that from a fundraising standpoint, to have that ability to go out and sell that, which is just very, very rare. There's very few schools that can say that. You've got Notre Dame, maybe a handful of other schools that are in that capacity, but we're doing something that most schools aren't trying to do. And so I think identifying kind of that value proposition, what really makes you unique and having that chance to sell it and, and really show these folks, hey, they're going to come here. They're going to have a great education. They're going to compete at the highest levels. But most importantly, um, hopefully there's a there's a, a, a long-term faith-building component to it that's that we're talking about beyond life That's that's got um, the opportunity to grow here. And so I, it was a rewarding, I, I, I would say, easy, really, product to sell. Um, and the people that understood it, their lives had been impacted by that university. They wanted to see that continue in other additional student athletes. And, and that was my job is just to really help uh, show that story and show how their gifts could continue to have that influence. Well, it's always fun to be a part of an organization that's larger than ourselves, isn't it? And, uh, and that's, that's really exciting, especially when the mission and ministry and values all line up. Well, Doug, when Rhonda and I first moved to Waco, you and Lacey lived in a beautiful uh, green and white home on Austin Avenue down the street from us, and we were neighbors. And then one day I look out of our upstairs window, and we see you and Lacey eyeing a home that needed, shall we say, a great deal of repair and work. Mm -hmm. And you had chosen your friends, Chip and Joanna Gaines, to renovate this house, and this was long before Fixer Upper. And yet, while they were turning this project into your new home, something else was in the works behind the scenes. Would you mind sharing with our listeners the backstory of this special project and how it got started and, and most importantly, too, what it led to? Yeah, it's a fun one. So uh, we knew Chip and Joe from actually having them renovate that house you spoke of that was on Austin Avenue. Um, you know, we bought that home. It needed some needed some. Uh, some enhancements and needed some work. And, uh, we, we found Chip and Joe to do the work. And, um, truth of the matter is they did an amazing job on our house on Austin Avenue. Just really, um, we, we fell in love with the house. I joked today about, um, you know, how much money did they lose on that project? Cause I feel like I know that we came out ahead cause uh, we really, we really got an amazing house out of it. Um, and, and now that I know the, the dollars in terms of what really cost to renovate homes, I'm like that there was no way that you guys <laughs> charge us enough to cover your costs. But, um, you know, we, we got to know them in that, in that setting and that wasn't, that was pre anything else and just had a really healthy, um, friendship and relationship. And I took, you know, Chip's credit, he was just a huge advocate and, and supporter of me, knowing kind of my aspirations from a collegiate sports standpoint, and always the biggest cheerleader when something good happened to me and, and vice versa, you know, just wanted to see them succeed, knowing their entrepreneurial kind of heart. Um, it just, just had a good appreciation and respect for each other. Uh, and we were, I think my wife was a little hard to sell as far as house renovations, but the house we referenced there, that was her second. So she started getting an itch like, okay, we can do this. Let's have some fun. And she's walking the neighborhood and not far from your old house, Glenn, on, on Austin. And she sees, um, she sees a house around the corner on Castle. 
Um, and it's it's obviously in dire need of, 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 of some TLC and has a Magnolia Realty for sale sign in front of it. So she gets on the phone, calls Joe and says, hey, what's the story on this house? And Joanna says, um, it was it's for sale. Um, it actually went under contract yesterday, but it looks like it may fall through. But there's a bunch of other people seeing it. If you're interested in it, you want to jump on it because location was clearly the advantage of this house, not not necessarily its condition. So I was out of town. I was probably on one of those road trips and Lacey went and looked at it. And she said, I think it can be a really cool house. Um, I got home, had a chance to look at it for, for an hour. And we ultimately knew that if we were going to get it, we had to throw an offer on it. And while this is all going on, you know, I don't remember, was, was it Chip or Joe that reached out? They said, hey, uh, just just a sidebar here. We've had a, a, a um, production company uh, reach out to us and they want to do a, uh, uh, a pilot for a potential show concept of flipping this home. And we would be the central characters and we'd love to talk to you guys about potentially utilizing this house as part of it. And, you know, a house renovation project is comes with a lot of weight and financial ramifications and decisions. It's challenging enough without any distractions. You throw in the idea of, well, this may be filmed and, you know, the timeline may be adjusted and all that stuff. And it was like, man, I, that sounds cool. But obviously, keep in mind, we have no idea what Fixer Upper is and what that show could become. So it was more like this seems like it could be a real stick in the uh, in the mud in terms of figuring out how to navigate a home renovation. So I, we were... I think gracious about it. we're like, hey, if that works, great. But we got to make this decision on you know what makes sense for us because it's this isn't extreme home makeover where they're you know they're providing the whole house for free. This is a a true out of pocket expense. And you know we ultimately decided to go forward with it. Um, I will say that the show at at at, at points in the in the decision making process was, was almost enough for us to say this feels like too much pressure and maybe too much of a distraction and something we want to be really responsible and smart about. But we did it and kind of took a leap of faith. Um, and you know, we, we had fun. We enjoyed it. It was a much smaller production. You know, there was, there wasn't nearly the cameras. I go out to the, to the set now and there's like 30, 30 people out there. And I was like, there was three of you guys when I, when we were filming our show. Um, but, uh, but obviously the home became the, um, central, uh, part of the pilot episode. They were told, Hey, we're going to show it to a focus group. Um, if it, if it does well in this focus group, we'll air it on HGTV one night. If it does well on that airing, then we'll see what comes from that. And so it hits the focus group. Focus group loves it. Airs on May 23rd, 2013. The pilot airs. Um, and I know that date and I'll tell you here in a minute, but it, um, it obviously does extremely well. And within, you know, days after it airs, ratings come back and, and the network wisely says, Hey, we want to get you guys signed up for a full season. And so the rest is history from there. They took off and, and, uh, in the five seasons of fixer upper that we all came to know and love, we're off and running based on that. Wow. Well, I mean the adage, you know, behind great people are other great people. So essentially y'all are the great people that launched Chip and Joanna. Is that, is that, is that correct? Hey, I keep on telling them like, you guys are like the, you know, the modern day version of Oprah and you got all these like Dr. Phil and Dr. Oz. I keep waiting for our spinoff, you know, for Lacey and I spinoff. Right. But I think it's, uh, I think I'm the barrier on that. I would say that, that talent scouts would probably have already been jumped on, uh, on uh, on Lacey uh, for her for her uh, her uh, ability to be on TV, but for me, they're I don't think they're they're too interested. Um, so um, it hasn't come yet, but yeah, <laughs> we we would we were definitely not in that category. <laughs> well, you know, you, you mentioned uh, this a second ago that you know it almost became a um, you know too much to handle while while the remodel was going on, and they were trying to shoot this pilot. You mentioned that, you know, obviously no, Fixer Upper wasn't Fixer Upper and, and the future, you couldn't tell the future. Now, at the head of the organization, 
have y'all talked about, did y'all even, you know, could they comprehend, could you comprehend really the magnitude of what was going on uh, while that was happening? Or was it just, hey, this is kind of a crazy idea and it's kind of annoying that these cameras are here as we're trying to really get our life going with this house. How, how did y'all view that during it and kind of right afterwards? Yeah, I mean, if you talk to Chip uh, about it, um, you know, his, his, his whole line about it is that um, – he thought, hey, if this is successful, this could really, you know, as as high as it can be, it, 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 this could potentially vault me into the one of the top home remodelers in Waco. Um, was kind of his aspirations. Like, if this wow. goes well, wow. I, I think I think you know, Magnolia Home Remodeling could be pretty well known in the city of Waco. Um, and so it just it's just you know it's impossible to fathom what all could have come from it. Um, you know, and for us, it was just, hey, we want to we want to create a home that was. That was meaningful. You know, we, we didn't have children at the time. We wanted to create a home that um, that could be special for my wife and I um, and that ultimately, uh, you know, could could be where we could be for a long period of time. And so uh, they did it really fast because they needed to do so to get it going from a production standpoint. And, um, you know, we, we know that it was it, the, the games were already going to do a great job because we had personal experience with that. But with the ability to do it with the TV and all the, the production, all thing, we just we knew it would be a special place. And obviously it turned out to be. But, yeah, I mean, to to fathom what all would come from it, from the big picture, from that experience was 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 certainly um, not conceivable while we went through the process. Well, well, Doug, at that time, I mean, you were on track. Uh, I, I remember coming back to the hospital after meeting you and working with you for some time and just telling some folks that love Baylor athletics. I said, keep your eye on Doug McNamee. He's going to be an athletic director one day. He's mm-hmm. on track to do this. This is his love. He eats, sleeps, and breathes sports. He loves it. And then, of course, uh, ISP came along and uh, and now IMG Sports. And, and I could see you, you know, being in a strong leadership position with that. I never saw you making this change. And, uh, and, and, and tell our listeners about what went through your mind, how that happened, and, uh, and how you wound up uh, leaving your first calling, collegiate sports, and now becoming such a key person within the Magnolia family yeah. running those operations. Well, I appreciate that. And I, 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 I didn't think it was possible either. I mean, for me, I think, um, probably by about my sophomore year in, in college, I, I really declared, Hey, college athletics is where I want to go. Um, and I hope to aspire to be an athletic director one day. It was pretty clear, you know, before I even started, um, with my first job that that's the path I wanted to take. And, um, you know, it was 13 years of decision-making to try to line up, to get myself in a position where that ultimately could occur, um, and trying to be a strategic about what I did to help facilitate and give that the opportunity. Um, and, you know, I, I think for, for me, I was, I was, I was, I was doing well. I mean, it was, I was tracking well. I probably had a move or two left before that first chance to lead a department, um, on my own was, was there, but I think I was, I was in a good spot. And, and we obviously went through some significant transition in the Baylor athletic department and, and Mac Rhodes, our, our current athletic director came and, you know, he could not have been kinder and uh, nicer and supportive, um, gave me an even bigger opportunity um, to oversee a, a much larger portion of the department. Really found myself in a as most content spot as I think I could have been professionally. Um, and, you know, we, we actually took, and I told Dr. Livingstone this story recently, and she's like, we shouldn't have taken him on a trip. But we, we took uh, Chip and Joe um, on a, uh, on a basketball trip with us to, uh, Oklahoma state, um, and, uh, took them as just an opportunity to, to experience it and, and be along. And, you know, one of my jobs in, in fundraising was to bring the, the donors along and to, to entertain them, make sure that they were taken care of on trips. 
And so we were on a trip and Chip was in the back, you know, talking Dr. Livingstone's ear up in, in, on the, in the vehicle. And I was in the front of the vehicle with Joe and I just said, how's the business? And she said, you know, it's going really well. We're, we're going through a transition. We have an interim, um, president CEO right now that, uh, is going to phase out. And so we're going to be looking for a new leader. And, um, she said, you know, we really respect and trust your perspective on folks. If you have anybody that you know of, that you feel like could serve in that capacity, we would, we would really appreciate, um, any recommendations. And that would go a long way for us. And, you know, I've, I've always enjoyed that. I think that's a, a gift and a, um, and a, um, a skill to be able to, for people to trust you and to, um, helping them find key, uh, key personnel for their, for the organization. And so I was, I was, as soon as I heard that, I was like, man, this is a, this is a challenge. I'm ready to go to work and figure out who can be some potential names for, I mean, what a complex, challenging job, but man, I'd love to come up with some names and give to them. And I think, you know, I, I just kind of, the more I th- sat on it, the more I was like, yeah, that, this is this. There's a lot of things that could be transferable here, and I, I kind of equate it to that um, that girl and you growing up in in you know elementary school or, or middle school that you really liked that was in the friend zone, but you were afraid to cross over and tell them you liked them because you were afraid that if they didn't like you, it would be rejection and and that that friendship would fall apart. And I kind of felt the same way. Some of you guys like, you know, I wonder is this something that they would ever consider me. Um, but I would, I sure wouldn't want to create an awkward, you know, environment if they, if they said, no, we, we, we had zero interest in you. We were really asking you to help us find somebody. So it was a little bit of, uh, of, of, of uncertainty as far as like, is this, uh, an opportunity to take a step out of leap and, uh, you know, suggest yourself for this opportunity. Um, but I did just that and just said, Hey, I, I have no idea and this won't be awkward. And if, if you guys quickly dismiss it, but would you ever, um, be willing to talk to me because I think that as far as the way you describe your organization and what you need right now, I think there's some some similarities to what I've been through and that I can really be someone that you all know, but can also be what you need in terms of growth. And we had a, an amazing, uh, I'd say almost a two month conversation just to speak to their care and their patience to want to get it right. I mean, we had a lot of hard questions for both both sides. And, you know, honestly, their biggest re- resistance and hesitation, especially Chip, was he knew my passion. He knew my desire to one, be, one day be an AD. And he's like, Doug, I don't want to take you off. I don't want to do anything to take you off that. I know you've dreamed about that for a long period of time. And, you know, I think this could be an amazing opportunity, but I don't want to take away from someone's dream. And, you know, for me, it was just a situation where this is this is a, a once in a lifetime type company, transformational company in your hometown. Um, and, you know, these people and there's interest, mutual interest. I truly love college athletics and I miss a lot of parts of it. But to have the chance to get the the opportunity to lead that company, candidly, probably with with little qualifications, honestly, to do so. Um, they were taking a huge leap of faith on me to have that chance and to do so um, at this moment for where that company was at was just once uh, once in a lifetime. Uh, you can't pass that chance up. And so we just had really good conversation. We both felt right, had a lot of uh, you know prayer and, and uh, conversations and ultimately felt like this is a worth a worth pursue. And I, I gave you that date, May 23rd. Um, it was May 23rd, 2018. So five years to the day of when the pilot aired is when I started uh, at work with them. And that wasn't, you know, wasn't intended that way. Just, you know, God, God's irony and working and, uh, to, to bring that relationship back full fold. And five years later, after the pilot aired, to have a chance to come um, work for Chip and Joe. And this, this, this role was really just a, a cool experience. Well, Doug, I, you know, I have no idea exactly what was in Chip and Joanna's heart at that particular time. But I think a takeaway for our listeners, and and perhaps you and Jacob both have done this. I know I have done this. 
when I have my eye on somebody that I really want to maybe consider coming into a position, my first move is to ask them if they know of someone who mm-hmm. might make a, a good, you know, X, Y, Z, uh, vice president or whatever. And, um, and so it, it, I commend you for having the courage to not only step up, but also step out. Uh, and that was, uh, that had to be just a huge, huge decision. And thank you so much for sharing a, a very, very personal story. But I think it's an impactful one that, uh, hmm. uh, if, if we see something we want, there's nothing wrong with simply asking, could I perhaps be the person that you need? in this particular yeah. role. No, I, I, th- I think that's wise, you know, advice in terms of, you know, if, if, if nothing else, if that person doesn't step out, if you, if you believe in them and you admire their qualities that have made them who they are, then they probably, the, the chances are they know some good people that they uh, run in a similar circle and have the same qualities. So whether, whether they take the bait or they lead you to people that they trust and respect, I think your outcome is going to be really solid when you ask that question. Yeah. Well, well, Doug, you know, I'm always interested in kind of like behind the scenes logistics, right? I'm I'm not the best operator, but I'm fascinated by logistics uh, of how things get done and, uh, you know, what it was like to, to um, you know, make things come to, to fruition. And I feel like there's got to be nobody that laughs more when I, people make the generic comment of, oh, man, the Gaineses, I feel like they have their hand in everything. And you're probably like, you have no idea. Uh, how many, <laughs> where, where the hands are. I mean, I, I'm, I'm the guy that's overseeing uh, all, everything and, and making sure everything keeps moving forward. And, you know, if, if, I, if I read through the things that you've overseen uh, from 2018 to today, 2021, looking at all the different lines of businesses and the development, I mean, heck, you, you've rebuilt an entire downtown where I just read an article that just as many people visited downtown Waco as they did the Alamo. I, I mean, think about that for a second. The Alamo was taught all around the country and, and maybe around the world. Uh, people come and visit the Alamo, uh, and you've helped uh, develop a, a, a town in central Texas where just as many people uh, want to come in and check out these, these two city blocks that you've helped develop. You, you've launched a hospitality company. You've helped them launch uh, you know, more production. Uh, it, it, it's, all of those things is, are, are probably just uh, one person's lifelong career uh, in and of itself, uh, and you oversee all of it. Walk our listeners through how you do that. How do you manage the team? How do you manage working with Chip and Joanna? How do you manage um, yourself and making sure that everything gets done? And what advice would you give our listeners out there that are saying, hey, I feel like I'm juggling 15 different things in the air right now, and I can't get either any of these balls to land. I can't offload anything. Uh, What advice would you give as far as leading, time management, anything that just kind of comes to mind there? Well, I joke, uh, and it may bring well, up I, horror stories. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I, you said I lead them all. You didn't say I lead them well. Um, so <laughs> I, uh, I joke. We're like Noah's Ark. We've got two of everything on the on the uh, boat. Um, you know, there's a good chance that Chips bought some business, or we're in some new venture by the time this podcast's over that I'll be able to find out about here in about ten minutes and have to go figure out what we're doing. Um, but I, I would just say, in all seriousness, uh, for me, um, it's really finding subject matter experts. And supporting them, um, doing you know, doing the best possible job of seeking those people out, recruiting them, uh, supporting them, and then getting out of the way and let them do their job. And you know, I, I, we're so wide and diverse 
um, that is, as I look at kind of the directors of, of our company and, and look at what they do really well, I don't know if I could say, Hey, there's any of those areas that I'm better at than that person. Um, I, truly, you know, the whole thing of, of, of not being the smartest guy in the room. Um, you know, I, I feel like in their respective areas, they are all each the smartest and, and I'm not. And, and I think, um, just the humility of, of, you know, really empowering your people, um, giving them support, um, you know, encouraging them as they get started, praising them when they're successful and redirecting them when they might be a, a misstep is really the role of leadership and understanding that your job is to go out and truly seek people who have greater knowledge in a specific area than you do. Um, and, and I think that that's, that's been our, our recipe for success here is that we've, we've got incredibly talented, smart people that just are, are, are attracted to this brand and attracted to the people that Chip and Joe are that come from all over the country and all walks of life because they want to be a part of something bigger than themselves. Um, and so we've been fortunate to attract incredible, incredible talent. And, you know, for me, it's, it's just a matter of, of helping to, to, um, to, to make those people aware of these opportunities, get them here and do whatever it takes to make sure they feel supported. Um, and I think with that, you know, it, it, I've, I've learned a lot. I mean, there's so many different areas that I had no clue about, um, before, you know, like you mentioned the supply chain and just understanding logistics. It's, it's not the fun part of the business to talk about, but it will cripple you and bring you to your knees and completely shut you down if you're not effective in that regard. And we've had a lot of learning pains in that space. You know, we've tried to do a lot of things ourselves and really be in control as opposed to being at someone else's, um, and, and we're, we're, we're growing. Um, but we've learned a lot. And I think the same is true for, for us, myself as an individual is, 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 uh, I certainly know a lot more than what I did three years ago when I started this job and certainly have a far, far learning curve left to go, um, before I've got, got it all figured out. That's for sure. Well, I think it's a really remarkable point that, uh, that you bring up and I commend you for it. Cause I don't think it would have been crazy. Now we may not agree with it, but I don't think it would have been crazy if I asked you that question and you said, Hey, the way to control everything and manage it well is to keep a tight grip on everything, right? And, and man, it, it makes sure every, you know where everybody's at at all times. And I think people would go, okay, so, you know, uh, that sounds, I get it. But the idea that you're the leader that gives it away and say, hey, listen, that's, I'm, I need to go get, you know, this person and that person. We need to bring them on the team. And I don't have to be the smartest person in the room. And I think a lot of that is, is security, right? And not having, I think when people have insecurities, that, that's where a lot of that comes from. And, and I think a lot of times when we're, when we're willing to give it away and say, hey, listen, I'm not, I'm not the best person here. Let's bring in the best team member or, 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 or you know, outside counselor or whatever it may be. Not only does that ins- probably instill trust into our team, but also the people that you're working with. And, and you know, that allows Chip and Joanna to look at you and go, hey, listen, if he says we're bringing in that person, we're bringing in that person. And, and I, so I, I commend you for that, um, especially running such a complex business that is that is a business, that, but it's also with people that you know and love, right? And and I think that's probably got to be a, a hard tension for you to balance. Sometimes is, you know, you're running the business, but you're also looking out for your friends, and and that that puts you in a tough spot sometimes. And so, uh, props to you and and the job that you've done, especially on the outside uh, looking in uh, for for running that organization and, and giving it away and letting other people rise uh, rise up and and do what their God given abilities are. Yeah, I appreciate that. I. I um you know, I would just say that uh, for me, the, the, the other kind of variable in this situation is, you know, for Chip and Joe, a lot of companies say this, but, you know, it's not all about bottom line. 
driven um, objectives. It's there's a there's a, a, a again a purpose that's greater than just the financial um, upside of a company that that they really uh, lead from. And so you know, at times that's a little challenging because you you you're usually in a situation where you're just trying to deliver the maximum value for a shareholder. Um, and in this case, it's it's about more having an impact um, and helping to kind of continue. Um, this brand and this this uh, feeling that they are so intentional about helping to create, um, but it's it's a team and it's 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 a group that uh, um, I, I hope that that there's humility across the board um, uh, and that I display that on a daily basis. That it's one thing to say, it's another thing to truly trust those people, empower them in moments when maybe your instinct is to go a different direction, but really trusting to say, hey, these these people they've they've come up, they've got the pedigree in this space. Give them the benefit of the doubt right now and let them go run. And I, and I hope that I live that on a daily basis. Well, Doug, I think that's the epitome of servant leadership. And, and, and just as you and Jacob were talking, I mean, that, that is the reality, and that's raising up people around you and allowing them to bring their God-given talents to the table and allow them to do their best. And that's building a tremendous team that builds trust ultimately. And that's the kind of atmosphere that I think many leaders strive, but sometimes fall short. But I, I think you're just doing an amazing job at that. And, and Jacob talked about diversity and, diver- and diversification uh, within the industry. Tell us more about the publishing side, because that's something that some of our listeners may not see. But it's the amazing work of producing five consecutive Magnolia publications that have hit the New York Times bestseller list. And, of course, this award-winning Magnolia journal that's popping up at newsstands all across the country. Yeah, and another great example of an area where, um, truth be told, there's just really strong people that lead that space. And I feel like I'm hopefully just helping to to support them, but certainly on a day-to-day basis, um, the leadership in that space is what makes the difference there. And, you know, as it relates to publications and, and the book specifically, it just speaks to the appeal of Chip and Joe and um, really the mass appeal, um, the, the ability for Joe to be able to do a, a design book, to do a cooking book, to do an autobiography of the story of Magnolia for Chip to kind of give business advice. I mean, they have such trusted authority and such a wide spectrum. People um, people really look to them, you know, family values. Um and they just they continue. Joe puts a, a children's book out, and it, it shoots to the top as well. And so they just everything they've touched in that space has really turned um, to gold. And they've got a great uh, a team of of writers and, and people that support them to to help produce that. The cookbook undertaking is in, is fascinating to watch a cookbook come together uh, and to see all the testing of recipes. Um, consumption of foods, which I, I'm always happy to volunteer to taste out anything that needs to be done, but it is it is such a, a, such a act of love to create something of that uh, magnitude. A cookbook I, I would never have understood how much work goes into that, um, but it's an amazing team that does that here. The magazine is a, another one that just says something where it's kind of defied the, the the norm of the industry. You know, the publications, the hard copy publications mailed on a monthly or quarterly basis, that's a, obviously a struggling business. Um, it's like linear TV. And the journal has been uh, one of the few shining lights that's defied it and gone a little bit in the opposite direction. Um, and I think that's because of the heart and soul and the authenticity that goes behind every story in each of those publications. It's a very aesthetically pleasing magazine it's low on the number of ads really rich content um, meaningful content and again just really an incredible team that leads that on a day-to-day basis that just continues to pump out and the the magazine 
um, really serves as kind of a North Star for us as a brand. It's seasonal, so it has a seasonal theme to it. And you see that um, kind of carry throughout the rest of the business. Um, and the magazine really, I, I can't understand, I can't state enough how important um, that serves for us as a company and really provides us a, um, a, a theme that we use throughout every aspect of our business. And so the ideation and kind of the, the storytelling that goes on in those magazines and the planning for that are done years in advance. So they're having to try to anticipate what's coming. I mean, they, they put out a publication in the middle of COVID that really spoke to exactly some of the themes we were all dealing with in terms of, of navigating the unknown and, and living in a world you weren't expecting to. And that was a, a theme that was that was developed years in advance before anybody knew anything about the pandemic. And so they really are, are such an amazing, talented group. And their um, creativity um, and storytelling helps uh, the rest of the company, I think, operate and, 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 and take off of their theme. Well, if our listeners have not read the books, uh, especially uh, uh, Chip and Joanna's autobiography, uh, it is excellent. If you enjoy audiobooks, uh, they each read their own parts, and uh, and then Joanna's book and uh, and Chip's book, I've, I've I've read them all, and the cookbook I use in my kitchen every day. Uh, and and uh, and there are certain members of our family that know if Joanna publishes another one, they're going to get it for Christmas. Uh, it's just we're a- on the way. It's coming out. It won't be out for, in time for Christmas. I don't think it's out by Christmas. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe October. We may be hitting it right in time. I should know this. Glenn, but this is back to having two of everything. I don't know when the next cookbook's coming out, but one's on the way. I know that. Well, again, more breaking news here on the Chasing What Matters podcast, right? So Yeah, that's right. Uh, cookbook three you, you is coming it, eventually. Right. You heard it here first. I'm, uh, I'm getting to taste the recipes when they come in the office, and the food is uh, won't disappoint. Let's just good. say that. Good deal. Good deal. <laughs> Well, uh, the, you know, also at Magnolia, uh, the, the new exciting thing uh, is that you guys have started an in-house production company. Uh, you've steered the business uh, now through a complex reorganization and your ramp up to launch a 24-hour cable network, uh, Magnolia Network. What has that process been like? Holy smokes. I mean, that, that just, I, I can't imagine the undertaking that that is. Uh, and oh, by the way, you got all the other stuff to keep running. So uh, what was that like? It, it, it. It's overwhelming. Um, you know, you, one thing you, you didn't mention, and part of that, which is probably most important, is the linear aspect. Excuse me, the digital aspect. You know, as when we signed this deal, which was uh, with our relationship with Discovery, um, which is you know the parent company of HGTV, Discovery, Food Network, uh, a, a lot of the the networks that you would come to know and love on the cable package. Um, it was largely focused on rebranding a linear network and DIY channel was the, was the one we were targeting was going to be the channel that was going to ultimately be rebranded as the Magnolia network and significant um, disruption and change has taken place over the last two years in the linear network side of, of, of media. Um, and you see, you know, the, the, the cord cutting phenomenon, um, which is talked about often, actually COVID accelerated it. You, you've seen more people who are staying at home and have accelerated going to a streaming platform. And so, you know, we started it with the idea of we're going to lead, lead out with a linear um, rebrand of a network. And then we're going to soon after follow with a digital offering. And then as COVID started going, like, well, we probably need to time those up together. And the linear rebrand probably should take place about the same time as the time that we offer our own um, digital platform. And ultimately realize, you know what? The linear piece can can come and it will in January of 2022, but the digital has to lead. That's where everything's going. And so Discovery uh, launched their own digital product at the start of this year called Digi- uh, Discovery Plus, so D Plus. 
Um, and you see some kind of some preview of what the Magnolia network content will look like. But on July 15th, uh, uh, we're going to have the actual um, debut of the Magnolia network app. So it will be uh, essentially a way where you download um, one app that will have all things Magnolia. You can shop, you can watch, you can learn from a workshop standpoint, all, all the different trusted um, uh, individuals that Joe has helped curate to, to teach how to you know, manage um, indoor house plants or, or um, cook or uh, just a variety of different workshops will be a part of this um, all-inclusive app. And it will also have all of our network content from Fixer Upper and Joe's Cooking Shows to a variety of different other shows that that uh, that we have uh, curated and and uh, and will be um, featured on this app. And so it's it's an evolving world, and it's hard to probably put that into a two or three minute soundbite. But you know, it's 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 where it's all going. You know, the the Netflix, the Amazons, um, um, that that. That's the that's the competitive environment that everyone's got to compete in, or they're gonna they're gonna find themselves out of business on the media side of things. And so we're in a, a good spot in the sense that we're a distribution a distribution platform, but we're also a content creator. Um, we have our own in-house production company that will produce and create our fixer uppers and cooking shows and a variety of other shows that are on there. So we're on both sides of the equation. I think in a really healthy spot. Um, we're really really excited and pleased with our partnership with Discovery. They just recently announced a significant. Um, merger with AT&T, um, Warner Brothers. So that will combine. I think you're going to see, a, you know, a, an environment where Discovery Plus and HBO Max in some capacity have a have a partnership that's that's coming down the road once that that uh, merger completes. And so we're partnered um, with what we think is truly one of the leaders in this space. Um, and really excited about what the next few years specifically looks like and how that media rolls out and just the overall impact that it has on the rest of our business. You know, what we have today was, was built on a, a 60 minute TV show that aired for five seasons on HGTV. Um, and now we have, um, thousands of hours of content new that will go out, um, every year. And so to, to think about what can happen to the Magnolia brand, um, with that underneath it, knowing what it did with just that one show is where you get pretty excited and pretty eager to see what the future holds for us as a, as a company, as a, as a brand specifically. Well, and you compare that to just uh, the video linkage to a single university, and now you consider what's happening. Um, uh, I know you didn't see that coming at all. And, and, and Doug, Tell our listeners a little bit about how your personal faith has played a role in your career and just some of the important decisions that you have made and you and Lacey have made together. Yeah, I think it's, um, you know, it's, it's easy to say it's been a part of everything. Um, it's, it's another thing to, to speak to it and just to say, you know, I think the, 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 the kindness um, component of what makes our company um, hopefully uh, unique and, um, you know, the, the ability to work for a brand um, that truly is intentional about creating memories and experiences for people to have for a lifetime. Um, you know, that's why I appreciated so much about working in college athletics is you knew people were having experiences with family members that they would remember for the rest of their life. Um, and, you know, just doing good work that matters. That's kind of our are, um, you know, that's, that's the phrase we use around here to describe what we do on a daily basis. Um, and, and I think that that's, you know, it's, it's, it's about purpose. It's about understanding, you know, what, what you do versus why you do it. Um, and, and for me, it's, it's a trust, um, that, uh, you know, we're, we're a, um, 
we're not a faith-based organization. I think we're certainly a faith-friendly organization um, where certainly all walks of, of, of faith make up who we are. Um, but you know, it's, it's the kindness. It's, it's a lot of the principles from, from the new Testament, as far as just, just treating people with respect and creating moments and memories that they can hold with them for, for a lifetime. Um, and, you know, for me personally, as far as uh, getting to work in my entire career, I've been really fortunate that I've been able to work in environments, um, where your faith was respected and valued. Um, and, uh, you know, I know not everybody's as lucky to be in that capacity. Um, and so I, I don't take that for granted. Um, and, and I, I, um, I'm grateful for the leadership at, at, uh, all the places that I've been that have allowed me to be in a space where that, uh, that component of what, what, what you do, um, being built upon your own personal walk, um, is welcome. And it's, it's actually a, it's, it's a, it's a, um, it's what I would, would describe as what helps make us special and, and uh, gives us the opportunity to be really successful in the, um, in the, in the market that we play in. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah, you know, I, I look at Magnolia, I look at your role, I look at Chip and Joanna and the people you surround yourselves with, and I think the, uh, the old saying of, of preach the gospel at all times and if necessary use words, right? I think, I think that sums up what y'all do um, uh, on a daily basis, and so... Uh, thank you for for what y'all are doing um, and, and showcasing that to to the world. Frankly, um, you know, kind of a, a fun question thrown out there. I know our listeners will will want to know what is it like working with Chip and Joanna on a daily basis. Is it uh, you know they they may listen to this episode, so you, I guess you have to be careful on what you say. But uh, is it chaos? Is it is it uh, every day is is different by epic proportions? Are they super structured? Uh, what is that like and how does that it, it morph into how it affects your role? If they're listening to it, I better go really hard or they're going to give me grief if I, <laughs> if I go easy. I, you know, I, I would describe what you see on TV is what you get with Chip and Joe. And oftentimes people are, you know, they, they'll, they'll, they'll say, oh, they must be different and they must, there's something different. They're the kindest, most generous people you'll meet. Um, they certainly, with all their perfections, have their flaws, just like you see from a TV standpoint. Um, you know, I, I use the word beautiful chaos. You use the word chaos. I use it, beautiful chaos. Um, you know, there's a lot and they're very different personalities too, but yet they're one. Um, and they're so strong. Their, their marriage is such a bond. Um, but they are, they are very, very unique in, in terms of, of, of the contrast between the two of them. Um, but they are dreamers. Um, you know, they believe in others. They are, um, they want others to see success and they are not driven um, by the almighty, almighty dollar. Uh, you hear that, but um, at times I kind of wish they were. I would be like, this would be an easier job if we just had a clear objective <laughs> and it was only about money. But that's not who they are, and it's authentic to to their brand. And um, it's, it, they, they're, they're, I mean, I would say the greatest compliment I can give them, they're amazing parents. They've raised five really, really impressive kids. Um, and uh, I, I think that you look, to, you look to their children, you see how respectful and um, and uh, just what, what delight they are to be around. And that's a reflection of their parents. Um, and I would say they probably would, they would uh, throw everything else away and not worry about a thing. If you could say they were good to each other and they raised good kids, um, that nothing else would really matter to them. And um, it, those are true. And so I'd say it's, a, it's an honor. It's a lot. It's never a boring day. Um, challenging, certainly, at times, as it would be for, for, to work for anyone. Um, but a, a beautiful chaos uh, is what I would think would most accurately describe what we do. Well, Doug, I, you know, I think all of us in Waco have the same story. Uh, 
years ago, we would travel and we would check into a hotel or people ask us where we were from, and we would say Waco, Pre-Chip and Joanna and Magnolia and Fixer Upper. And we were remembered for something else that we don't even want to talk about. And 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 that has totally changed. And so when, when Rhonda and I travel, uh, often the question immediately comes up, and I'm sure you and Lacey get it as well. Well, do you know Chip and Joanna? And, and, uh, and are they as nice as they seem on TV? And I will tell you what my answer is. They are nicer than even what you see on TV. And, and the reason is, is because there are some things that <clears throat> Chip and Joanna do that they want nobody to know about. And I've had the privilege of being um, just a very small part in, in a couple of those. And I can't share the details, and I'm sure there are a million that you could know about, but you can't share the details either because they just ask that no one needs to know who did this. And they just take care of people. They meet real needs um, when they become aware of it, and their heart gets touched. And uh, and like you said, money is not a key piece of that. It, it's, it's really about just helping people and helping them overcome some of the life challenges that they have found. And, uh, and, and they are just amazing people, and they're great ambassadors. I I, I, I'm, I'm leading a one-man parade, and, and I think there are a lot of people out there that hopefully will join in. If you travel up I-45 and you get near Huntsville, Texas, north of there, there's a big statue of Sam Houston. If we don't erect one for Chip and one for Joanna on each side of I-35, I think we're missing a great opportunity because they have transformed this community. And to uh, echo that, to tell you the people that they are, they'll never let that happen because they don't want it to be That's true. about them. And that they'll they'll they deserve it, one thousand percent. I'm I'll sign on that. Um, but they'll never let it happen because they are that's that's the selfless nature that they are but yeah that everything you said there true uh, Glenn which is that I've that's probably been one of the greatest gifts of this job is to have the opportunity to just observe those confidential acts of kindness um, that I've seen so many um, moments that I'll never forget and I'm grateful for um, and it'll never they'll never no one will ever know besides the, the you know the handful of people that got to see it. Uh, but it happens on a regular basis, and you know that's kind of that's kind of what the adage goes with. You want to you want to know someone's character, um, you know, see what they do when nobody's looking, um, and that's you know that's I, I, I was looking on a few of those occasions with Chip and Joe, and it's it's pretty darn good. Yeah, it really is. Well, you you, you touched on just kind of some of the behind the scenes stuff um, of who they are, but but you personally tell us some about the cool opportunities uh, you've gotten to experience uh, during your time at Magnolia that 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 come to mind. Yeah, well, the first good thing about it is Chip's a huge sports fan. So is Joe, but Chip's a huge sports fan. So my my previous love actually kind of marries with my new love, and um, getting to go to Baylor sporting events is uh, a pretty regular occurrence. And getting to go so uh, with Chip and and getting experience in that capacity has been uh, especially fun. Um, let's just say this March was a was a good uh, a good time for all of us. We made a made a. Uh, a successful uh, run to the championship on, on the men's basketball side. Um, you know, but I think just being a part of, of some of the formations of the partnerships that we have, um, you know, we, we were uh, kind of in an 11th hour negotiation period with uh, discovery to finalize our, our agreement to, to join together on the media side. And, um, you know, Chip called me one night at, at like six or seven o'clock and we were going back and forth and he and I were both in, in Waco. We had our legal teams, legal teams up in New York working, hand in hand to try to get this deal done because we had a push to get it done and 
um, he said, Hey, I, th- I think, I think, I think I need to go up there to, to help get this thing pushed across. And I was like, Chip, please let, I'll go, let me go. I was like, cause as great as Chip is in a, in a, in a room like that, you know, all, all, all the wheels could come off fast. Um, and I was like, Chip, let me go. I, I, I got this. Let me go. How soon do you need me to go up there? He's like, well, I think someone needs to be up there in the morning. I said, well, Chip, it's six o'clock on a Wednesday. You know, you won't be at eight in New York at eight o'clock. And, um, he's like, we've, we've got some important things. We need to get it knocked out. And so, um, I did, I went the next morning and, uh, got there. I wasn't there by eight, but I think I was there by 10 or 11. Um, and I thought it would be about a 48 hour trip. It ended up being about a week to finish it out. Um, but sitting in a, uh, the, the Chrysler building in downtown New York, Manhattan, you know, I walked into the room and it was, you know, all the lawyers working through this significant, uh, negotiation and, and, uh, you know, our general counsel was there and, uh, the, the representative on, on the discovery side that was kind of their principal, um, that was speaking on behalf of them had a legal background. And so I walk in this room and you've got, you know, 30 attorneys in this boardroom and there's half on one side that's us, our outside counselor and, and our, our internal and then half of theirs. And you got a bunch of, you know, paralegals and associates on the outside that are just kind of sitting there taking their notes, doing the work. And so I walk in not knowing anything and I, I walk in, I go around and shake everybody's hand. And I remember some of the, uh, people on the other legal side that I think were just support, like, what is this guy doing? Like, what's he coming around here? This is not what you do. So I sit down and get my laptop up and we're, you know, we're working through conversations. And I quickly realized, I look around the room and I was like, I am unquestionably the only person in this room of 30 people that doesn't have a legal degree. And so I, I quickly find a, a legal dictionary online. And so I'm about spending about the first three hours as we go through the contract negotiation, they, they throw out terms and I'm like, Googling legal dictionary. I got to figure out what this word, what this actually means in legal terms. So I spent like the first three hours of that day um, just trying to understand what was being said. But the chance to sit in a room and watch the negotiations of of what could be a transformative, you know, a uh, uh, media a- agreement was was incredible. To be there to watch it firsthand and just to to help close it, um, you know, and a small part of it, but to watch it was something I would I, I knew in the moment. You know, we were grinding it, working late in the evening times, and I knew in the moment, hey, th- this is this is something you never would expected to, to do, and probably never had the qualifications to be here. But you're here now. You're getting to experience it, and uh, so grateful for that opportunity, even though I didn't know it was being said i love that i i i just i love that story of i mean you get kid in lake jackson you know not that that's like podunk or something and you went to a great university but still like you're sitting in a in a you're the only non-lawyer negotiating at what i can only imagine is a multi-million uh dollar deal um and, and that and that's just crazy right i mean i and and I love the saying by George Bush, not that this is you, uh, I'll go ahead and disclaimer it, but it's, uh, his, his comment was to all you A's and B's students graduating today, uh, you two will make great lawyers and teachers and doctors and all you C students, you can uh, also become the president of the United States one day. Uh, and, and I love that, right? I, I love that adage of, hey, fake it till you make it and, and you'll figure it out. So I, I love that story. That master's degree in sports management was clutch. That's right. Um, in that in that boardroom, <laughs> trying to navigate through some stuff. And, That's right. You know, we had a bunch of Harvard and Yale and Columbia educated people, and my dear beloved alma mater, Baylor University Sports Management Program, took care of me really well in that That's moment. Right. I'm, That's I'm right. thankful for it. Yeah, y'all never covered reciprocity and all those other fancy words. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, well, Doug, you've already shared some, but uh, for our listeners, before we let you go, what are some other leadership lessons that you've learned along the way serving at Baylor and also at Magnolia? You know, I use the phrase uh, courageous leadership with humility. 
um, just because I think those two sometimes are real. Um, they're, they're real opposite of each other where it, it feels like um, you can find someone who's willing to make hard decisions, um, but do so with, with a lack of humility and, um, you know, inability to relate and to, to understand the team that's, that's, that's behind uh, he or she to make them uh, successful. And then vice versa, I think you see some folks that are really tuned in that carry um, humility in their daily walk um, with their staff and their team. But then when it comes to those really tough moments to make a decision that's challenging, um, it's, it's hard. And so to find someone who's got a balance of both, um, who's willing to make those hard decisions, but do so, um, with just an approachability and a kindness and a humility at all, all times, I think is a real challenge. And I think it's hard to find and it's rare. And I certainly don't do it all the time, but it's something I strive, um, hopefully on a regular basis to, uh, to display. Um, you know, I, I so I, I would say that's kind of my life mantra and goal, um, I, I think back to my grandfather, who was this, a dean of school of education, told told a story one time. And he talked about um, building sidewalks. He said, you know, you've got two choices. You can build the sidewalk and you can hope people will go down the path that you've laid for them to walk. Or you can watch them and see where they go and see how they get to a destination and then build the sidewalk to align with that. And so I didn't think much of it at the moment, but it's been something as I've grown older to reflect on just to say just that process of trying to convince somebody to go your way, um, spending money and then trying to force people to go their way, even when it may not make the most sense, as opposed to st- just stopping and watching and taking a second and um, being wise to see what path people choose um, and learning from that and then ultimately making decisions to support that accordingly. Um, so I think of, of, of that analogy a lot of times. But but the, but the courageous leadership with humility is really a, kind of a, a life mantra and a goal that I strive for. I love that. I love that. Well, uh, Doug, before we let you go, uh, this will not be as difficult as the boardroom in New York, I promise. But uh, we want to ask you a few rapid-fire questions before we Great. let you out of here. So, Dad, uh, you've got the first one. Well, you, we may have already stolen your thunder because we just asked you for some great advice. Sure. But, uh, but Doug, best and worst advice that you've ever been given? Yeah, I think um, I think I, worst advice, and I can't really identify who it would be, but just um, would, uh, not to take more chances um, earlier. You know, you show me somebody successful who hasn't failed, and I'll tell you they're not that, that they hadn't been that successful. Um, and so I, I would just say it was a pretty uh, measured. Um, probably decision-making process early instead of maybe some a little bit more uh, drastic risk-taking to, to really learn some hard lessons from. Um, so I, I would say, uh, you know, nobody gave me advice, hey, don't don't take any chances, but um, maybe just a lack of go aggressively at some, some, some more um, risky decisions earlier on. I think that would have probably been advantageous um, just knowing what I know now. Um, you know, I think as far as, as best advice is concerned is, is, is that there is no value ever in um, severing a relationship. And no matter what the situation is, you never know. It's such a small world. It is such a, um, a funny world. God has such a sense of humor that um, regardless of the circumstances, you know, you, you, uh, you exit a relationship and you show your character with class because um, you never know when that relationship may come around and circle back. Um, and so I think that's, that's just wise advice that we can all follow. That's awesome. That's good. Great. Well, Doug, who are the most influential people in your life? Yeah, I've worked for some great folks. I've been blessed um, to work for some people who've, who've provided me 
um, unique uh, gifts in a lot of different ways. And so I'd be remiss to probably identify any of them because I'd, I'd leave some folks out. But I've, I've worked for some amazing people. I'd say my most uh, probably one, if not the most single influential person in my life that's not family um, was my high school basketball coach. And this is a person who didn't play um, sports in high school. Um, it worked as a manager, worked as a support staff. Um, but it was someone who took recognition of my passion for sports and, and, and also acknowledged my lack of athletic ability and said, Hey, this is somebody that can, can be a part of this team and can help us in another way. Um, and you know, he allowed me for four years to work super close to him, really got my passion for sports in, in, in a place for someone who didn't play, um, and let me pour in and somebody that I, I consider kind of a second father that I stay extremely close to this day. Um, and just somebody that I have a close relationship, so grateful for, um, the gifts that he provided me and the chance to be a part of something early on. Um, he was, uh, really, really influential to shape who I am today. Wow. What a testimony. Well, um, you've already shared several of these, but we'd love to pry a little bit more. In addition to some of the things we've talked about, what big events have taken place in your life over this past year? Well, I think for all of us, you know, COVID has been uh, the event, right, that we've all we've all dealt with. And, um, you know, I, th- I think there was some blessing in disguise for me with COVID, with uh, my marriage, with my relationship with my kids, just having a pause and clearing out some of the distractions in our life. Um, you know, I, I, would, I think Lacey and I both said, like, the, the year of COVID, not to say that it didn't go beyond a year, but it's been the best, mar- best year of marriage in our life. Um, just because it cleared away a lot of the distractions um, and really gave us a chance to focus in on what mattered and um, our relationship with each other. So, you know, I, I think it, it, what, what we've all gone through as a, as a, as a world over the past year, uh, you have to start and stop with, with COVID as an event and say, how has it changed and influenced? And, you know, from a, from a work standpoint, obviously huge impact um, and in a lot of ways really challenging and a lot of ways um, really beneficial to help us make decisions that had we not had the opportunity to go through, we might still be struggling with. Um, so it's, 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 it's changed all of our lives um, in so many ways. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, uh, yeah, this might be an interesting question in the line of work that you're in. Uh, when was the last time you took a risk and how'd that work out? It could be work and personal. Yeah, I, I started a small business kind of in the um, in the uh, dessert ice cream space with a buddy um, while I was still at Baylor, um, and uh, it was small but but had a little shop and it it uh, it wasn't a total bust but it certainly did not thrive and succeed and we ended up selling it um, shortly uh, not long after we'd started it. Um, unfortunately, didn't get get killed too bad, but it was something where I learned a lot of lessons about the importance of organization, the ability to dedicate time and resources. Um, it really, I think, actually, was, the timing was so great to come in to Magnolia, knowing all the the many kind of small businesses, and, and there some of them are a lot bigger and small that we start. Just understanding how to resource and staff something right, and you know, a, a, an initiative and kind of a, just an a, a itch to do something doesn't necessarily guarantee success if you don't do it the right from the front end. So I. I would tell you that was a professional and a, a personal experience because it was away from my day job, but it was uh, a lot of lessons learned in the hard way from that experience. Yeah. Well, if folks have not visited uh, the newly updated and expanded silos, you need to come back to Waco because uh, mm. uh, you and Chip and Joanna and your wonderful team at Magnolia have started a lot of little businesses right there next to the ball field. And uh, those retail shops are just amazing. I love how they're they're segregated into different niches, uh, whether it's in the printed material or whether it's in sports memorabilia or, or a shop that only Chip himself would shop in. And uh, uh, 
just a, a great creativity there, and that uh, is a whole lot of fun to take visitors to our community there to see what y'all have done. Yeah, we've learned a lot. Um, you know, you, you, you kind of you're finding what's working well and what's mix mix and match, and we're learning a lot of lessons every day. Um, so it has been it's been a fun experience with the different food trucks and the, all all the different concepts that are on the ground there. To your point, it's it's been like 20 different small businesses we've started up, and a lot have been successful, and some we've we've learned haven't seen the success that we wanted to, and now we're pivoting and trying to make them what we what we need them to be. So it's been a fun process for sure. Well, Doug, how about the best or most meaningful place you've ever visited? Uh, without question, um, would be Augusta National. Um, and I, and I will tell you, I don't, I don't care if you, if you have zero interest in golf, you could not pay attention or care one bit about golf. It is the single greatest, um, uh, it is the single greatest, uh, experience and, uh, customer service display of an event you'll ever see in your life. I think anywhere, um, the, 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 what they have done to create just this magical, truly, um, you know, customer-focused guest patrons, as they call them, environment is is captivating, and um, the golf is is I would argue almost kind of secondary to just the ability to treat people in such a uh, respectful, efficient way and do it in 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 a setting um, that's obviously aesthetically so pleasing. It's it's fascinating. I I love going. I do love golf. But golf is secondary for me in that experience because I want to see what they've done to the grounds, how they've helped make the process more efficient. You know, what what free parking lot did they buy that particular year to give patrons an easier way to get to the to the gate? How much lower have they raised concessions while everybody else is going up on concessions? Um, they just do it in such an immaculate, incredible way, uh, and it is the single greatest spectator of event, sport, whatever you want to call it, that that I think is on the face of the earth. It's it's magical. We had a previous guest, and uh, when asked this question, uh, his answer to me is just remarkable because it is so true that there have been two places in his life that he has visited that has have exceeded his expectations, Israel and Augusta National. Mm. And, uh, you know, we, we give our friends at Chick-fil-A a lot of credit for how they can just cue people through in just such a fast and expedient way. And not to take anything away from the wonderful folks at Chick-fil-A, uh, the masters have been doing this for years. And yep. if you just, uh, I just, like Doug said, I just encourage you, go get a soft drink, go get a pimento cheese sandwich or an mm. egg salad sandwich and see how fast you can get in and out of that operation, and and the pricing will astonish you. You put your cell phone away for a, a day. You don't don't you don't even bring it in the grounds. You live with a world that doesn't have technology, um, and you uh, you see you just see an event at its finest. I I wholeheartedly agree. Yeah, absolutely. I a buddy yesterday asked me if I had, uh, had the opportunity to go, and I and I said it did, and he was laughing. He said uh, um, in college his dad called him and said. Hey, I get to go to the Masters this year, and he said his response was, "Oh, cool." He goes, "Clearly, uh, you don't get it, son. If that's your response uh, mm. of, of how big of a deal this is, <laughs> it is." <laughs> so, and and, uh, and and again, you don't have to like golf. You, that's right. you do not have to care about golf to appreciate. If you if you're interested in customer service and guest experience, it, it, it is the best that that exists. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, Doug, uh, you, you've mentioned them, but tell us uh, about or describe something you learned from your parents. Uh, showing up every day. I mean, I think they knew pretty early that they weren't going to have a academic whiz on their hands. And so all the, uh, you know, the abilities to, to uh, achieve the highest academic awards were probably out the door pretty early. Um, but, you know, for my parents, 
um, perfect attendance was always really, really important to them. And it didn't make sense to me. I was like, well, that's probably just a consolation prize because, you know, I'm not going to win the valedictorian award. Um, but I've come to really appreciate and realize, and, and they've set the example that like showing up every day um, and bringing it even when you don't have, you know, everything. Um, there's there's such a value to that. And there's value in consistency and, and routine um, and being prepared each day to, to, to tackle what comes at you. So um, showing up, as I would say, for sure, my parents were, were the value that they brought me that I value the most. Doug, I can only imagine uh, you've had some amazing best jobs, but what's the worst job that you've ever had? Uh, so probably one of the first jobs, they'd just broken the union in, I don't know if this is nationwide, but in Texas with uh, film projectionists at movie theaters. Um, and so I was, I think, 16 at the time, and they were, <laughs> instead of paying someone 20 or $30 an hour to put the film on the reel at a movie theater, um, they were paying someone four twenty-five an hour that didn't have a clue what they were doing and hoping they didn't mess it up. And so I was a film projectionist at a at a movie theater in in Lake Jackson for a few years. And I promise you, there was a couple of those very expensive uh, film projector machines in the theater that probably were broken because of my my inability to properly thread the uh, film uh, onto the onto the reel. Um, so I'd say that was the worst job in the sense that I, I was paid, uh, you know basic uh, below minimum wage i don't know how they even paid below minimum wage but and i and i did probably more damage than i did good for sure in terms of what i broke <laughs> that's great that's great we have not had that answer yet uh, on the show uh, so that's that's yeah. good that's good uh well doug in addition to the bible uh what's mm-hmm. the best book you've ever read uh so i would say building a story brand um by donald miller uh it is uh, donald miller i think he, blue light jazz he's done a, a lot of, of incredible books um, but for me, that that book um, was it was really a, a changing perspective in terms of understanding, um, you know, telling clearly what your brand does, and it was the repositioning of of the reader from they're they're the hero and you're the guide. As the brand, oftentimes you get that confused and you think your brand is the hero in someone's life. And that the individual that you're serving is the guide, and it's it's completely the opposite. The brand should be the guide, and the hero should be the customer. Um, and that kind of mindset switch, which the book does a beautiful job of of illustrating, um, was extremely helpful with our current with Magnolia, and, and and we use it you know to this day in a lot of the way that we formulate how we communicate with our with our guests and our customers. Last question uh, to round it out here: What's next for Doug and Magnolia? You know, I think just to to continue to have impact. I think we're you know we're in a, a unique spot where we get to be a part of something that has um, it has influence across all the media platform, and we know in this day and age that's worldwide accessible. Um, so I think getting to be in a space where the work that we do, um, you know, if, if it continues to be about telling stories that matter and telling the good that this world has, what well, you know, there's too many stories out there telling all the bad. And, get to be on the good side of that um, is such a, a blessing and a, and a gift to be in that space. And so just having that continued impact um, is is something that um, that is next for us and continues to be kind of what drives us every day. And I think for me, um, you know, Chip and Joe are going to dream, they're going to chase, and it's my job to help, you know, bring the execution to allow them to, to be able to spend that space and not worry about the day-to-day. Um, and so continuing to focus on, um, what we do and to do it in a way that gives them the bandwidth to then go out and chase these these incredible um, 
opportunities that they're presented with. That's what drives me every day and what, what uh, is the focus for us as a company is, is really that foundation to continue to build it in a good, strong, healthy way um, so that we can be ready for whatever's coming around the corner next. That's awesome. Well, Doug, uh, thank you so much uh, for taking time to be on the show with us today. It was awesome to hear your story, hear Magnolia's story, uh, and just share that with our listeners. So thanks so much for being here. An honor. Appreciate you both for doing this podcast, for 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 uh, for answer, uh, asking me to be a part of it. Don't don't feel like I'm on the level of uh, of uh, deserving to with some of the other guests that you've had a part of, but uh, very humbled to be included and hopefully um, hopefully provide a nugget or two that's helpful for everybody had a chance to listen. Absolutely, no. It was it was it was our honor and our pleasure. Uh, to our guest, we're gonna have all the links uh, to Doug's info in the show notes. Uh, some links to articles about Magnolia and all of their uh, their website, uh, Instagram, uh, anything that we can find, we'll throw it on there. So make sure you check out the show notes below. And as always, thanks for listening today. Our guest today, Doug McNamee, president of Magnolia. Thanks so much, Doug, my friend, for being with us. And to our listeners, thank you for tuning in today. Make sure you subscribe, share our podcast with others, and follow us along on our Instagram account. Until next time, keep chasing what matters. 